Hi, everyone. This is Sherry Wright. Welcome to Access to Healthcare's weekly podcast, where we bring you local guests on a variety of topics that are important to you and your family. Happy New Year, everyone. And who would have thought that in January of 2022, we would still be talking about COVID-19 and the pandemic, but we are. And the new variant Omicron is wreaking havoc with our lives. So today we're doing a COVID-19 update with my favorite and frequent guest, Dr. Andy Pasternak, a local primary care physician with Silver Sage Center for Family Medicine here in Reno. Welcome, Dr. Pasternak. Always good to be here. I'm going to be excited when we can stop talking about COVID, but for right now, that's what we're stuck with. Yep. (laughs) Yeah, we really are. I looked at topics first. I thought there isn't any more important than this one. And you know, the question on everybody's mind is, why isn't the pandemic over? Well, there's sage advice on that. You know, I I think the reason why the pandemic isn't over is we have this new variant. And, um, you know, as we all know, viruses change and mutate and do different things. And this Omicron variant um, is, it's different than Delta. It's different than the original forms of COVID. And it is, uh, it's thrown us for a loop. And I, you know, one of my, as much as we as physicians and scientists um, think that we, I mean, I think we have good evidence of what we're doing is helping some things, but, you know, as I like to tell people, nature always bats last and it, it can throw some, throw some curveballs at us. So, um, you know, we were worried about other variants. This is one of the reasons why we really want to start making sure that we get vaccines to not just people in the United States, but throughout the world. Um, because we know the more people that we get vaccinated, the less likely we are to see some variants. So, uh, yeah, uh, Omicron's come in, and it's turning out that it's it's more contagious, and, and it is just, um, it's running through the population right now, really not just in the United States, but really uh, throughout Europe as well. Yeah, everywhere it seems like in the world. And if we talk about Washoe County, we're almost doubling our cases every week. Um, it was... Uh, 2,802 the week before, and then 4,603 last week. Um, What we're all reading is that it's not as deadly, but it's more contagious, and that's why it's continuing to double the amount of cases, and that doesn't even include the number of at-home tests that aren't reported to the county. That would be county tests, I'm assuming, on those numbers. When when do you think this will peak? Um... I have no idea. Yeah. I mean, I, I, well, I do think we, let's say this, we're, we're starting to hopefully see some downturns um, in uh, on the East coast. Uh, You know, New York seems to be leveling off. It's not dropping a little bit. Uh, I was just back in Michigan. They're seeming to level off and they started ahead of us. You know, we do know in Mm -hmm. South Africa where this first hit, they are seeing a downturn already. Um, you know, to me, one of the one of the things that uh, I, I look at and some of my other friends are looking at is they're doing some really interesting research looking at uh, COVID in wastewater. Uh, so at the wastewater oh, treatment plant. Oh, yeah, I plant. saw that. Yeah. 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 And, and you know, they're seeing downturns, you know, and, and I and I think your point about the home testing and the actual case counts being, you know, how accurate are those? There's some of there's a bit of a fudge factor in there, but 
with things like the, you know, doing the testing of the way in the waste, that's going to be a, that's actually probably a pretty good measure of community burden of COVID. So, you know, uh, I know back East, they're starting to see some downturns. And I, I, there was some data the other day that Clark um, is starting to see Clark County starting to see a downturn in their uh, COVID and their wastewater. So, you know, I, I think we're probably, we may not be quite at the peak here in Washoe County, but I think we're going to hopefully be close. And then, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that, um, you know, by middle of, by, you know, middle of February, start of March, that we start to see this really drop off. Yeah. Let's talk about what a variant is, because I think, you know, we're now moving into our third year, as we're all aware of. And I think we thought in the first year, you know, by the end and into the second year, we would, this would start to calm itself down. And then we get another variant. Um, let's talk a little bit about that and inform people on what a variant is, if you can, Dr. Patronak. But also, will we see another one? And will we need a different vaccine on these variants? I think it's a little confusing. Yeah. So, so basically what a variant is, is, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, these viruses replicate and they change. Um, and every time they replicate, they can change a little bit. I mean, it's, it's the same as, um, you know, if you, I mean, it's a, it's a much faster process, but, you know, um, that, you know, every, every time, you know, cells or anything sort of replicate, you can have some changes. And what happens with these variants is they, you know, they essentially have a slightly different appearance. So, for example, with, with Omicron, um, you know, what we know with COVID is there's sort of a, a central ball and there's these little spike proteins. And so the spike proteins that are on the outside are a little bit different than the spike proteins that we saw uh, with some of the initial uh, versions of COVID. So, you know, it, they, 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 and, you know, little mutations like that can change how the virus, um, you know, uh, attaches to your nose, attaches to your throat, um, how contagious it is, uh, and, and, and sometimes, you know, what kind of, you know, what kind of disease it causes. So that's what we're seeing with variants. Um, as for, what's going to happen with vaccines down the line. I, I think that's going to be an interesting question. They are already working on, you know, with things like influenza, this is why we have to get a different flu shot every year. Influenza is a virus that it mutates quite a bit from year to year. And the influenza shot that you got in say 2011, the, you know, the influenza that's in our community now is very, very different. So that's why we give people an updated shot every year. And it may be that that COVID is, changes enough, like influenza, that you know they may start saying, "Hey, this is the the COVID that's hitting. Let's get people a yearly COVID shot." I, I don't know if that's going to happen. Um, you know, some people have been saying that all along that we may need to sort of do a COVID slash flu shot every year to cover the new variants. Um, I, I think that we kind of need to see what the vaccines do, and and there is some promise that maybe the, the vaccines, some of the newer vaccines coming out will sort of cover all the variants a little bit better than, than the, the, mm. the, the vaccines we have now. Well, um, the lay public is using language that we never thought we would use, variants, vaccines, uh, that type of thing. That Educate me a little bit on how this is different than, say, the mumps vaccine or the measles. 
do they change with variants or is it just something more like the flu and now COVID-19? Well, in part, I mean, the, the vaccines that we've had for those, we've been able to get those diseases under control so they're not running as rampant, so we don't see uh, as many variants, you know. So so that's kind of the advantage is, is you know, once you sort of get the, the wildfire under control or, you know, once you if the virus isn't replicating as much, you may not see as many variants. So uh, and different viruses mutate, you know, uh, a little bit differently. And, and um, also, I think that the 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 way the vaccines work for those. Um, you know, is, is going to be a, a, a is going to be somewhat different, and I don't want to get too technical, but there's yeah. there's sort of some vaccines there's sort of some vaccines that do a really good job of um, sort of and it, and some of it depends on sort of where the vaccine replicates in your body and things like that. I think to me the important thing that we're seeing with this with this new variant is that the vaccines are still doing a really good job of keeping people from getting incredibly sick. Um, right. You know, I, you know, I am still seeing people who are unvaccinated, who are getting Omicron um, and it kicks their butt. I mean, it's, it's kicking their butt, um, you yeah. know, uh, yeah. and there is some data, there is some data that the, you know, that Omicron's maybe not quite as severe, um, but in my unvaccinated folks, we've been having to try to get them, you know, some of the monoclonal antibodies, which are really hard to find right now. Uh, so it, it is, it is tricky. Yep. Well, uh, my bet would be, um, Dr. Pasternak that if I, if Jackie and I went back and listened to the podcast we did almost a year ago, because I remember we did one in the beginning of 2021 to update people, uh, we would be talking about the fact that the world, everybody needs to get vaccinated. That's what's going to, that's what you said about the measles. That's how we were able to do this. But let's talk about the boosters, because there seems to be some discussion now on whether you are fully vaccinated if you don't have a booster. We all thought we were fully vaccinated. Do you remember that small little bit of time where we the vaccinated people took their masks off and then it was so great. And then we had to put our masks back on because there were breakthrough cases. So let's let's clarify this for people, if you would. Are you fully vaccinated if you don't have a booster? I think for adults, I, I am recommending that most people get a booster now. Uh, and by adults, I'll say really over the age of, of of thirty or forty. I think that there is some. We are seeing some benefit um, to getting to getting folks boosters in that age range. Um, you know, the one part of the vaccine development that did get rushed. Um, you know, when we talked about how how did we get these vaccines that quickly. The one part of the vaccine development that did get rushed was the dosing. Um, you know, typically, if we were, you know, if we had time and we didn't have, you know, hundreds of thousands of people dying in our country of COVID, um, they probably would have spent another six months to a year um, trying to figure out: is this a two dose? Is this a one dose vaccine? Is this a two dose yeah. vaccine? Is this a three dose mm-hmm. vaccine? And if we're going to do three doses, mm-hmm. should you do it at, you know? Should it be at one month, two months, six months? You know, what should the mm-hmm. schedule be? And that that was one of the things that with um, the vaccine development, we frankly didn't have time. So the pharmaceutical companies basically said, this is our best guess. Let's do three weeks, four weeks. Um, 
you know, and, and see how things do. And I think that there's pretty good evidence now that for most people, if they haven't had COVID, um, getting that booster shot is, 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 is going to give them some additional benefit. Um, now, I'm also hearing there's talk about a fourth shot, and there was just some data that came out of Israel today that's really showing the fourth shot may not be that beneficial. Um, mm-hmm. You know, maybe in certain populations, maybe if people have some immune suppression, we might need to do that. So, um, you know, most of the stuff I'm reading now is saying, you know, you, you probably do get some additional benefit by getting that booster shot, especially if you haven't had COVID. Yeah, you know, I have family um, in Hawaii on Maui, and so I visit there quite often. And the governor, starting, I believe, on January 24th, you're not going to be able to get on island uh, without the booster. On yeah. on Maui, you're not going to be considered vaccinated. Actually, in all the islands on Hawaii, um, you have to quarantine unless you have the booster. So it's interesting how there's an interpretation that seems to be different by quite a few on on whether you're fully vaccinated with the booster taken in an organization, uh, when we consider ourselves fully vaccinated of staff, how many staff you have vaccinated if they don't have the booster? I think that's a, a topic that's coming up lately. Yeah, and I think that's something that we all kind of need to think about. Um, and and again, some of these things, I think that we're still going you know, we're with this new variant, we're learning more and more every day. I mean, you know, this new variant really hit our country, um, you know, kind of, I mean, we started seeing this, what, mid-December, uh, maybe mm-hmm. a little bit before then. So, you know, it, it does take a little bit of time to kind of see how people do with these different, you know, different, you know, evaluating, hey, if someone's had three vaccines, are they going to do better than people who have, two, who have had two? You know, I right. still, I mean, I, I, again, I'm advocating for the boosters. I'm telling most of my patients, you know, get the boosters. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I do think that, um, you know, what we are seeing is for people that have had, you know, uh, their, their first two shots, we are still seeing some protection from severe disease. I mean, they are, we are seeing breakthrough cases. Um, but in terms of that severe, severe disease, I think we're still seeing some benefit from two. Right. Most people, I think three's working a little bit better than two. Yeah. Well, let's talk about a couple things that are also on people's minds lately. Um, let's start with masks, because what we're hearing, and of course, so much of our information is on the news, um, that the regular cloth masks aren't working, that we all need the N95 masks, which sometimes can be very uncomfortable. Is, is that what you're recommending for your patients, that they not use cloth masks? Um, look, from day one, we've always known that N95 masks are going to work better than a surgical mask, which is going to work better than a cloth mask. I mean, we've kind of known that. I mean, if, if, uh, for the people, I mean, I think one of the really interesting things that we've seen with COVID is for, for hospital workers, for doctors, nurses, people working with COVID patients, um, we are seeing some of those people get sick from work. But if those people are wearing the proper protective gear, I mean, if they're wearing, you know, their, their N95 mask or their, you know, their, their PAPR, their ventilation device, um, mm-hmm. we're not seeing a lot of those people get COVID from work. So we've always, and, and most of those people are wearing the N95 mask, the more protective masks. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if you would talk to those folks, 
you know, uh, even though we said, hey, cloth masks may help a little bit, I think everybody is aware that, yeah, the N95 masks are going to work a little bit better. Um, and obviously with, with Omicron being so contagious, um, you know, I, I think most people are saying, hey, if you can get an N95 mask, get an N95 mask. If you can't get an mm-hmm. N95 mask, look for a surgical mask. You know, do I think cloth masks still work? I do think they work. I think the problem is this vaccine, this this variant is so contagious that the masks don't work as well. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. I still rather see people wearing a cloth mask than no mask. Absolutely. You know, yeah. even if it helps three percent, five percent. But yeah. but I think that's where really where this is coming from is you know the very the the the, the virus is more contagious, and if you have access, go for the better mask. Well, let's move on to um, testing because that's that's a huge issue now because you can't find at-home tests, um, and it's tough to get. I know in Washoe County, two of the sites to get PCR tests were shut down because of lack of staff. If if somebody has COVID symptoms and they're not, um, you know, sick enough to go to an ER, should they even bother to test? Given the fact that it is so difficult to find one and um at home tests are they are they worth the time and effort to try and find one uh great question so first off just today uh and maybe we can we could put a link to this on the access to healthcare website you can now start ordering your own at home test which will be mailed to you so the government just announced that so maybe we could post that um, and get that out there okay. to people um so we're trying to improve improve that um you know part of the problem is there's been such a huge demand so i do think the availability of tests here is probably going to improve in the next couple of weeks um what i tell people so the at-home tests are what we call rapid antigen tests um and they work in a lot of ways kind of with the same technology that we use to do things like a strep test or a pregnancy test that they look for this protein and what we're seeing with the antigen tests is they are still pretty good at picking up COVID, that if you are having symptoms, if you have a sore throat, uh, which is a new, that sore throat's a big, big new symptom with Omicron. Uh, if you have yeah. fever, if you have cough, if you're having those symptoms and you have a positive antigen test, you have COVID. Um, now, what we are seeing is that perhaps early in the, in the, in the, the you know, if you start getting sick and you test yourself in that first 24 to 36 to 48 hours, sometimes the test may not be positive yet. So I would tell people one positive, one negative test doesn't say that you don't have COVID. If you do have mm-hmm. two or three negative tests, then, okay, then it may be something else going on. Um, so I, I do think that the, 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 the positive tests, the home tests are really, really helpful. And the nice thing with that is you don't have to wait in line and you get the results right. back, you know, usually 15 minutes. Right. Well, and you're not out in the public with possibly COVID trying to get a test. Let's talk about the five-day quarantine that the CDC has come up with. I think a lot of people are confused. If, if let's say, I, I didn't feel well and I had symptoms of COVID, I didn't have an at-home test, I didn't want to go out, if I quarantine for five days and I'm then symptom-free, can I go back to work? Well, if you read that, it's saying, so that's one that I, I, I know the CDC's come out with that. 
I'm still a little wary of people going back after five days. Um, if you, and if you read those guidelines, it's basically saying if you're not having a lot of symptoms, you can go back to work um, if you wear a good N95 mask. Um, mm, okay. I, you know, we've had a couple of my staff have gotten COVID, and I've erred on the side of caution, saying, you know, if you hit five, seven days, um, you know, am I letting some of the folks back? I'm still being really, really careful because I sort of feel that it's more in the eight to ten, eight to ten day range that people still have the ability to, to shed this virus. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things, and, and and this is one of the areas where if people do have access to the antigen tests and they're they're hard to find, that you know if they hit five days, seven days out, and they're feeling fantastic, and if they have access to an antigen test, I would have them do an antigen test. And if the antigen mm-hmm. test is still positive, I say, hey, you're probably still contagious. Stay home. You know, if they're seven days in and their antigen test is negative and they're not having any symptoms, then I'm going to feel a little bit more reassured about letting them back to work. Well, maybe with the um, ability to be able to order those tests at that government site, people will have enough to be able to do that kind of uh, criteria. But it also comes back to our schools in many ways. and uh, the children 5 to 12, uh, I don't think we have a high rate of vaccination for that age, but it also comes back to how long do they stay home. And especially if someone in their class tests positive for COVID, but they have no symptoms, does the whole classroom need to go home? Right now they do, it sounds like. Yeah, and I, you know, I'll be honest, the the, the whole school, vac, you know, school isolation, it's so variable from school district to school district that it's hard for me to keep up of like what the current recommendations are. Um, and it is a lot tougher. And I think some of those, you know, people are sort of criticizing like, well, this school district's doing this, and this school district's doing that. And, you know, I do think some of the school districts are doing a better job of looking at what's out there. And I think some of it's also based on what is the rate of COVID in their community and what's the rate of vaccinations in their community. Um, you know, I think for communities where, we're seeing, you know, much higher vaccination rates. Um, you know, your guidelines are going to be a little bit different than, um, you know, the, the guidelines are going to be a little bit different in maybe communities where vaccination rates are really, really low. Well, um, let's talk about what about children under five getting vaccinated. Do you think that that is in the future? Um, I, I do think that we are going to see that uh, in part, you know, in, in unvaccinated kids, it is rare. I mean, kids do better with COVID than adults do. Um, but, you know, we are still seeing kids get pretty sick from COVID. So uh, we do know that kids are getting uh, less sick with COVID, uh, but they're still ending up in the hospital. They can get this inflammatory syndrome in their blood vessels. Um, and what we're really seeing is that if kids are vaccinated, we're seeing that less. Uh, now, again, the absolute risk of kids getting that is pretty low. But if we can lower that by 70 or 80 percent through vaccines, I think it's worth it. So, you know, I, I do think we are going to see some more development um, in that in the younger kids, um, in, in part to try to protect them from some of the. I, again, I, I I don't I think you know kids dying is rare. We see it, um, but I think some of the other things that we're seeing with kids um, that we're going to try to prevent that through vaccines. Well, I think one of the things to stress is that Omicron is still very serious. I mean, our hospitals are overcrowded, but a lot of people um, 
are saying uh, that it's not very serious, it's like a cold, and it's okay if you catch it. But that's not necessarily true, is it? No, and and, and again, I think, you know, we, we're seeing different reports throughout the country. You know, we're seeing, um, you know, we're seeing ERs, we're seeing hospitals. You know, there's this big debate of, you know, are the people getting admitted with Omicron or because of Omicron? You know, do they have a positive test and they're there for something else? Or, um, you know, are they actually getting sick with Omicron? And and mm-hmm. I think a lot of that again, depends on what part of the country you're in. You know, um, in some of the data I've seen from hospitals in the Bay Area, they are seeing a lot of people with incidental cases, but they also have incredibly high vaccination rates. You know, in other parts yeah. of the country, again, I was just back in Michigan, um, and I've been talking to some of my friends working in the hospitals and ERs in Michigan, and they're seeing a lot of people who are sick with with COVID. You know, they're having symptoms mm-hmm. related to COVID. So, um, you know, again, that's where I just think that the, the vaccinations are are helping um, prevent some of those those really really sick people. The other thing I, we are telling people is. If you are if you're sick but you're not critically sick and you just need a test, do not necessarily go to the emergency room. That's I mean that's the other thing. Right. Kind of, um, you know, when I talk to my ER colleagues, they're like, we have a lot of people coming in there. You know, they have slight sniffles and they're just looking to get a test. And the and yeah. ERs are there for people who are really really sick. Um, you know, they've also had people showing up at the ER needing a test so they can go on a trip, and that's, that's what the ERs are for. We have other ways yeah. of getting people tested. Yep. Do you recommend they go to an urgent care for a test? Um, what I would tell people is, yeah, talk to an urgent care um, or, you know, talk to your, again, if you have a primary care doctor, talk to your primary care doctor. And, you know, the, I think the hard part, say, with travel is a lot of the travel places want a PCR test as opposed to an antigen test. And the, yeah. Because we have so yeah, many people true. getting sick. Yeah, I mean, because we yeah. have so many people getting sick. PCR testing is really backed up. Um, but, you know, a lot of times, talk, a lot of the, we, we just are starting to do more testing in our office with antigen testing uh, because of demand. And I think there's a lot of other primary care docs that are, are kind of doing the same right now. Yeah. Well, I know we talked about this a year ago. Um, it was unbelievable to me a year ago that somebody wouldn't get the vaccine, but a lot of people haven't. And uh, I don't know what can talk somebody into a vaccine now that after all of this that hasn't hasn't gotten one. It's, I, I, you know, every day um, we talk to people. I mean, one thing I am hoping is we have some new vaccines on the horizon. There's a, a Novavax vaccine that I've been hoping for uh, for about a year that uses a different technology than the mRNA vaccine. Um, and I have some patients that are kind of waiting for that vaccine. There's another one that the, the Army's developing um, that has really good-looking promise at maybe covering all the variants a little bit differently. It's a very different vaccine um, than what we have out there. So, you know, I, I think some people are still worried about that mRNA technology. I'm personally not, um, but I can understand, you know. So I, I'm really hoping that, you know, in the next few months, um, that maybe we have some other vaccines out there that give people a little bit more peace of mind. Well, that leads me to my last question, Dr. Pasnick. Where do you think we'll be in six months? Where will we be halfway through uh, 2022? 
You know, I have given up predicting. <laughs> there's a lot of people. Yeah, there's a lot of people who are way smarter than me that have egg on their face. Uh, yeah, you know, they there's some famous re- Yeah, I mean, there's famous researchers from Stanford and UCSF and Harvard who have all said, "Oh, the pandemic's over. We don't have to worry about it." Um, you know, I, I I think that we'll. You know, this is a virus that's going to be around. Um, you know, I think it is going to be a little bit more like a flu virus, I hope, um, and that, you know, we, we are we may see some variants. We might have to update people with vaccines from time to time. Um, you know, uh, you know, I do think that we'll probably see some seasonality to it, although if you look with COVID, I mean, we've seen spikes. Yeah, you see spikes, yeah. in, you know, in the winter. Obviously, we've seen a big spike this winter. Um, but we've had some spikes, mm-hmm. especially down south um, in the summer. So, you know, I, I, it's, it's you know, every time I, I sort of guess of what's going to happen next, there's a new variant or a new development or a new twist. So, you know, I'm just sort of uh, like, what, are we, what do we have to do today? What do we have to do tomorrow? And then we'll worry about two or three months down the line when we get there. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a good point. I think that's kind of where we're all at. It's true. Yep. Um well, thank you, Dr. Pasternak, as always, for great information. We're going to get this podcast out today or tomorrow. Um, there's lots of places that people can call to get vaccines, CVS, Walgreens, uh, Washoe County, all the rural counties. I think there's a multitude of places uh, to be able to go get a vaccine. And Dr. Pasternak and I and Jackie, who uh, records our podcast, would really encourage you to do that if you haven't gotten a vaccine. As far as the testing, we will put on our um, website the link to be able to order the test from the government. Is there anything that I've forgotten, Dr. Pasternak? I think that's the main thing. Okay, well, I'm <laughs> I'm sure we'll be doing another podcast on COVID in probably a couple of months. Uh, But thank you so much for being a guest and for the information. We've been talking to Dr. Andy Pasternak. He's a local primary care physician and with Silver State Center for Family Medicine. And as always, thank you, Dr. Pasternak. And hopefully down the road, we can do some podcasts on other topics. All right. I hope so, too. Take care. Okay. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And for other podcasts, go to accesstohealthcare.org slash podcast. And... Stay well, everyone.